cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting to the Matrix on December the 17th, 2008. I always suggest the newcomers look into CuttingToTheMatrix.com and download as many of the previous talks I've given that help to give you the true picture, which is true as we can get a hold of it, that is, in this very shady world of reality. And people should be downloading as much of it as they can because who knows how long we'll be allowed to keep going. And the website can be pulled at any time at all and censorship can really come in because we know there's a big roll-on now towards total martial law for societal breakdown, as the big boys keep telling us is coming. And they certainly won't allow people whom they will claim to be public agitators, that's those who are telling you what's really happening, that they want you to believe nothing but the mainstream propaganda and it's the mainstream who kept you in the matrix your whole life long. So you'll never get any truth from them. Also look into Alan Watts Sentinel.eu and download transcripts of these talks if you prefer to read them. And you can print them up and they're written in the various languages of Europe. On the last show, I talked about the Strategic Studies Institute, the big think tank that lives in the Ivory Tower, that literally looks into sci-fi futures of all possibilities, all scenarios of every possible thing that could go wrong from the minute you get up from your bed in the morning and fall over your shoe to your house collapsing or burning down, etc., etc. Their job is always to look for crisis and panic. In fact, that's what they live off of because they're very well paid to, to look into the future. However, they are fed their scenarios from incredible data banks, data banks that take statistics on everything, world trends, etc. But above all of that, they have their bosses, and their bosses work with the gray men. Who are the gray men? The gray men are those who go between the Kissinger types. In fact, Kissinger himself can be classified as a gray man, and the real bosses that run the world. And I'm not talking about the ones that we think we elect. It's way above that. So the, the, the facts are dealt to these think tanks. The, the think tanks put it into operation for the various institutions, and it gets handed down to the military, and the military then practices and, and gets psychologically ready for the big task they're supposed to be facing in the, in the near future. And what they're talking about really is new global governance and the chaos that will ensue during the whole transition period. Now, the transition period is the same period of chaos and disruption where nothing is the way that it's been for a long time. That means that jobs, etc., will go down the tubes. Uh, stores are already closing down. Even shopping malls are closing down throughout the U.S. And people are losing work everywhere. Manufacturing could come to a standstill. And... Uh, 
We've already seen the big bailouts of the banks and other bailing out the big auto companies. And anyone who has a possible link to the military-industrial complex and the big manufacturers of cars, etc., and trucks are part of that system. So they might keep them going. It's hard to tell, or a scaled-back version of them. But they're also talking about bringing in the troops and, and all of that uh, to quell hotspots across the country for upcoming riots. We live in an artificial system. We've got to understand that to begin with. It was created this way. And as I said, in ancient times, ancient Greece, the easiest system to destroy quickly is the highly civilized one. We'll be back with more after this break. I am Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. We're in a, a situation now, as I say, when it's out in the open as to where we're all going. And even yet, it's not registering with people. It'll take quite a few episodes of the mainstream to get it through their heads, mainly by the, the, the familiar faces telling them so, to get it through their heads that uh, it's all coming down. I expect massive change and get ready to adapt and get ready to obey. That's the primary thing which the media will tell us all to do. They've been setting this up before 9-11 happened, this whole system of control. I've mentioned quite a few times of how even little potato towns in Ontario, Canada, suddenly had uh, these emergency response exercises in the mid-90s after the Cold War was over. They never had them during the Cold War. And yet suddenly, when we're all at peace, supposedly, we have all these exercises where they're using combined forces, military, army, ambulances, fire brigades, etc., to deal with mock disasters, man-made, but mainly terrorist types of scenarios. And I scratched my head and wondered what was going on. And then a couple of years later, a little paragraph in a local newspaper stated that the police would be showing off their new uniforms, the black outfits, with their tucked-in pants and their combat boots, and strolling the streets in pairs or even in fours to get the public used to seeing this new uniform. And sure enough, a few days later, I saw four of them, like models, showing off their stuff as they casually walked across the main street of a place in Allison, Ontario, as I was passing through it. And... I thought not so much about what they were wearing, although they had black ties, black shirts, everything was black, which is the color of the executioner. It puts fear into people, especially when you see them in this sort of military attire. Your police are obviously not police anymore. They're, they are the military. And I knew something big was planned down the road. And then, as I say, the mock disasters were already going on everywhere across Canada. No explanation for them cops in black gear. But what got me too was that the people in the streets never even glanced at the policemen. They, they didn't even stop to stare or wonder or anything. And I realized they were all in a fugue, a fugish state of unreality because, you see, it hadn't been really broadcast mainstream even though this little paragraph in a, a free fly uh, sheet, as they call them, the local newspaper, it hadn't been said on television 
And it's right out of Brzezinski's book, Between Two Ages, when he said the public will shortly be unable to, to think for themselves or reason for themselves. They will expect the media to do it for them. And that has successfully been accomplished. That's why most people can look up at the sky with all the trails and look down again and ask you what you're pointing at. It's because it's not been on the mainstream. Believe you me, if it had been on the mainstream media, uh, a minimum of eight times they found out uh, they'd all be parting uh, and questioning uh, the same kind of topic amongst themselves. That's how sad it is. Most people are not truly conscious. They are programmed. It's scientifically designed. And they'll never really figure it out. I can remember when I was a child going into the adult libraries, and I knew uh, the woman who, who ran it. She allowed me in, even though I was just a minor. And I'd rifle through all the books I could get my hands on to find out what was happening in this system, what was this system I was born into. And it truly was a controlled system, especially in Britain, a great place to learn if you knew, at least suspected, that something was very, very wrong. And I did wonder why the vast amount of people were working class in Britain. I wondered why the vast amount of people all lived in council housing, which was paid for by their tax money. Their grandparents really started it off. And as one generation died off, uh, the new couples would wait on a waiting list to apply to get into these council houses. They owned nothing. And really that was the idealized state that Britain was building up. They didn't want people to own private property except the already existing really upper middle classes. It's different in the class system than that portrayed in America. In America, people think it's according to your income. In Britain, it's not to do with owning your own property and wearing a suit and tie and then your income. That's, that's the, the way it works there. And I wondered why Britain that had ruled the waves supposedly for an awful long time and the sun never set on the British Empire, I, I wondered why the vast majority of the public were dirt poor. And you could read a newspaper from one end of the country to the other, from north to south as well, and you would find the same starting wages for the same kinds of jobs and the same final wages for the same kind of jobs and trades and so on, all fixed that way. And that told me there was a tremendous organization at work that was never mentioned to the public to keep it that way. And sure enough, everyone at that time had just enough money earned per week or every two weeks to pay their rent and their basic necessities. There was no money left over for any kinds of things we think of as luxuries today. You did not have credit cards. You couldn't get a credit card unless you had collateral something to back it up with. You couldn't get a bank loan unless you had property. And then in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, we started to come out with the credit cards and gave one generation the feeling that they were living on top of the world all through debt. That was to keep them happy and amused. Well, big, big changes were really going underway. When you're happy, you see you're having a good time. You don't really want to look at all the little things that are happening around you. It's like putting sheep into a really nice field after they've deleted the, the really good grass in another. They see this lush grass and they want to eat away. They don't see the wolves in the outskirts. They're too busy chomping away.
very simple technique, but it works with people too. And during the 80s and 90s, we all were fed massive trivia, massive trivia, and sure enough, they hyped up the worship and the status of stars in Hollywood, etc., to the highest limits. Pure fantasies to the people you see, fantasies that represented living the good life, being out of the money hole, being at the top where you don't worry about money or debt and credit cards and stuff like that. Fantasy, the same technique that they used in the 1920s and 30s in Hollywood when they turned out movie after movie was turned out with big balls and guys with long tails and tap dancing. It was the good life, the fantasy, pure fantasy, while the vast amount of people were suffering terribly. And I wondered why when I was a child going into these libraries, if they'd ever fixed the problem of the last Great Depression, because I had grandparents had talked about it. And I, I looked at the causes of it, and how they said when they signed the Versailles Treaty in World War I, that it guaranteed the onset of a World War II, because Germany would either be taxed and bled by paying all the different countries for their costs of the World War One, Germany would be bled into the ground, or else it would have to one day fight its way out of it. And we all know what happened there with the help of the World Banks, the various World Bank, call them World Banks, although today they call them One World Bank, the big bankers of the West, they financed Germany under IG Farben, and many of the big manufacturers were part of that umbrella group, and they created the Nazi war machine. A great book to read is The Crimes and Punishment of IG Farben. And you'll see the same big corporations that are running the world today, setting up the Nazi Germany military regime and funding it. you find out too that I.G. Farben sent off lots of lawyers from the U.S., teams of them over to the Nuremberg trials to make sure their men got off the hook and didn't serve any time for what had been going on. Massive cover-up. Massive cover-up. There would have been no World War II if it wasn't for this umbrella of I.G. Farben and all of the big, big industrialists that we still kowtow to today, the same industrialists are getting all the bailouts with our tax money. And people think the Nazism was a German thing. Interesting. The whole idea of bringing the world under this big eugenics system, and it truly is the eugenics system, we have to get that through our heads. All those who haven't made it up to the top the very top ranks of society are useless eaters. They're antiquated. There is no purpose for them in a post-industrial society. The technology is done by a few. And even that is primarily going offshore. But there's some left in the U.S., and that's about it. But for the old man and woman, their day is supposedly gone. And for the next 30 years, we're going through this riots and so on. But it's getting back to this whole idea of World War I and the Depression and the various other recessions they had since then. It was always the same story. that We were told that, that all the, the stock market did really was, was, was put money into this big gambling casino in the hope they'd win. 
And of course, we know what a Ponzi scheme is. A Ponzi scheme, which everything is based upon, even the big banks, that you, the ones that you bank at locally, the big chains of bankers, are involved in Ponzi schemes. And they get everyone into investments. The idea being uh, that they, they hope you'll stay invested with them and that they give you your payoff from your little bits of interest from newcomers, always newcomers coming into the scheme. And if newcomers don't come in, they have to admit they don't have any cash in the kitty to the public. But as long as no one asks and demands, they'll keep this going and keep newcomers coming in and pay off the ones who are already in it with their interest rates. Ponzi scheme, a big pyramid scheme, it has never been changed. Why not? Be back with more after this break. You knew, if you understand history at all, if you understood history, you knew 
that this was a warfare maneuver because you always go for the food supply. You also go for the entire water supply of the people to, keep, to get them into slavery and to keep them into slavery. A country that truly wanted to promote independence and longevity of that system of independence and independent people would have stopped the takeover of farm. They would have helped the small farmer instead of impede his own progress. But the opposite was the plan, you see. The plan was, as the United Nations said a long time ago, in one of their speeches, the Department of Agriculture, they said that farming was too important to be left to the farmer. The whole idea being that this big world we're going into is to be a world run by the professionals, the experts, intellectuals, those who are more evolved than those at the bottom, who believe they've got the right to dictate to the rest of us how we shall all live. And part of it was to set up the International Monetary Fund that initially would be, uh, it appeared to be an agency that would lend money out and when hard times came, if the borrower couldn't pay it back, they'd step in and start running the affairs of that country until they'd leached out all their, 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 their money back into their bank, into the kitty with all of the interest. Britain doesn't realize it, but during Margaret Thatcher's reign, the IMF was behind her running the UK. And believe you me, they really leached it. Good time. But here's an article from the International Monetary Fund today to do with the present crisis. Because remember, the idea is to set up the World Bank as the only bank on the planet, eventually, working through and with the United Nations and working through all the little banks. They'll be all subsidiaries of the big bank because you personally will be dictated to through your bank account, what you can buy, if you can even buy at all, if you can be allowed to, how much money you get, etc. That's the plan for the very near future, as we go through the chaos. And this is from the International Monetary Fund on the 17th of December, 2008. Crisis lessons for the IMF. Speech by John Lipsky, First Deputy Managing Director, International Monetary Fund at the Council on Foreign Relations. New York, December 17, 2008. It says, Good morning. Thank you for coming up so early on one of the shortest and hence darkest days of the year. Today's limited sunlight, unfortunately, provides an appropriate setting for discussing the current situation in financial markets and in the global economy. Attempts to improve financial markets and the economy undoubtedly would benefit from both more light and more heat. And they'll step up the heat all right. It says, hopefully the coming months will eventually begin to supply both. Although I will begin with a brief review of the near-term outlook, the principal theme of my remarks today is the current and prospective role of the International Monetary Fund. You will not be surprised that my primary thesis is that the IMF can contribute significantly and perhaps uniquely to dealing with both the current and likely future challenges. I'm going to ask ourselves, too, why is this guy not coming out to the public, the people of the U.S. Why is he coming through the CFR, this private organization? Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
I'm Alan Watt, and we are cutting through the matrix, discussing this big organization, the International Monetary Fund, where Mr. John Lipsky, the head of it, gave a speech just today to the Council on Foreign Relations, not to the American public. And I've ranted on enough about the Council on Foreign Relations and who they are and who really runs them. But remember, these people represent a supposedly private organization that dictates policy to governments. They create policy for governments, not from the people at the bottom, you or your friends, no, from these big private institutions at the top. And this is part of the parallel government I was talking about on previous shows that really run the world. This is the same organization that Bill Clinton, when he was in the Monica Lewinsky scandal, he went to explain himself to them, first of all, before it got anywhere near the public. So obviously, it's obviously where their allegiance is and where the priorities happen to be with these characters when they all attend this. And the Council on Foreign Relations is all through your government, too. All through it, and all through your bureaucracies. It's all through the media. And the media, media barons are all part of it. Those at the head of banking institutions are all part of it, this parallel government. But this guy goes on to say in his speech today, in the broadest sense, the International Monetary Fund's principal tasks are to help reduce the global economy's systemic instabilities and to promote effective counter-cyclical policy action. In other words, the fund has been mandated by its members, today totaling 185 countries, international, you see, to play both a structural and a cyclical, or better put, a counter-cyclical role. I also believe that this role fits neatly. It fits neatly and inevitably into the emerging consensus about governance of the post-crisis global economy. Now, this is the new system they're bringing in worldwide. He said it fits neatly and inevitably into the emerging consensus about governance of the post-crisis global economy and of financial markets. So I will discuss the fund's role and its governance implications in a bit more detail at the end of my remarks. Then he goes through what is the near-term outlook, and he prattles on a bit using the usual speech they use. It's every... Every supposed professional has his own vocabulary for his own type, you see, so they understand each other. But most of it really whittles down to very simple things. What he's telling us here is he says, for now global financial markets appear to have stepped back from the brink in response to aggressive policy support measures, meaning the taxpayer has been fleeced again. It'd be like the banks. Nonetheless, the danger of renewed deterioration remains high in several markets, while funding and liquidity markets are still severely strained. These negative developments reflect deep shocks that have undermined confidence in financial market counterparties, persistent concerns over future losses and funding needs, and large losses in bank and other institutions' capital. Thus, financial market deleveraging is still underway, underpinning our base case expectation of substantial and sustained slowdown in credit growth through the coming year. So things are not going to get better, is what he's telling you, just like that. It's not going to get better. And he goes on and on and on. And I'll put the link up at the end of the show on my website so you can read it for yourself. But you've got to 
hang on, you have to really not go to sleep when you read this kind of stuff and catch the occasional phrase here and there to see what he's really getting at. Because this is, this is the next move as it was planned up when they even set up this institution called the International Monetary Fund. Eventually it was to become the big stick for the World Bank. And what is the World Bank? It's another agency, private organization at the United Nations that's funded by even bigger private banks, the ones that you, you can't go and put deposits on into. If you're a guy down on the streets, you won't get near those kind of banks. So we're never, we have never been run. The world has never been run by the people in any country. In fact, the whole agenda for the last couple of hundred years is to ensure that the people would never run their countries. That's why they gave us fake democracy. That's why they've numbered us all. That's why we've watched the rise of governmental agencies that take care of everything, including the, the children. They have all the kind of data on the children that you can imagine, stuff you couldn't possibly imagine. You know, it's interesting that even in, in Holland, they've given the same kind of thing that they have in Britain, which I read, I read last week about the... the information regarding on all children now through a particular EU policy. And Holland, they even have on it, and I'm not kidding, I'll put the link up. I'll put the link about this up. And it's, and it's, it's about it's about them wanting to know and having it in writing and put it in their little dossier on the children if they have pubic hair. And when they develop pubic hair, and what shade is it, what color is it, and is it curly? I'm not kidding. And I'll tell you, part of the reason won't be that they're just all perverts at the top, which I'm sure they are. But it's also because they want to see if the, the high estrogen content in the food is working. That's the real reason behind it. I'll put that link up for you too. It's astonishing what's truly happening today. You couldn't dream this stuff up in your worst nightmare. And it's government agencies that are doing this by law. See, law, I said years ago, can be anything. Anything is law. When the, the king decreed something at one time, it was the law. If he said that the village of Hampstead had to be wiped out, it would be wiped out. That was the law. There was no debate about it or moral debate or anything else. And that's what government is, you see. Government can't help but to grab more and more and more power. And every agency they set up will try to rise to the top by enlarging itself and multiplying its workers until it seems very important and all-powerful and it has more and more laws to control and look over. That's how it works. And this kind of thing is happening worldwide. There's another article here about becoming censorship, etc. It's from the register. It's biting the hand that feeds it. Google, Google cranks up the consensus engine. And it's by Andrew Orlowski. First posted in Music and Media, 12th of December, 2008. It says, Google this week admitted that its staff will pick and choose what appears in its search results. It's a historic statement and nobody has yet grasped its significance. 
not so very long ago. Google disclaimed the responsibility for search results by explaining that these were chosen by a computer algorithm. The disclaimer lives on at Google News, where we are assured that the selection and placement of stories on this page were determined automatically by a computer program. A few years ago, Google's apparently unimpeachable objectivity got some people very excited, and technology utopians began to herald Google as a conduit for a new form of democracy. Google was only too pleased to encourage this view. It explained that its algorithm relies on the uniquely democratic nature of the web by using its vast link structures as an indicator of an individual page's value. That Google was impartial was one of the articles of faith. For if Google was ever to be found to be applying subjective human judgments directly in the process, it would be akin to the voting machines being rigged. For these soothsayers of the hive mind, the years ahead looked prosperous. As blog-aware marketing and media consultants, they saw a lucrative future in explaining the new emergent world order to the uninitiated. That part has come true. Web 2, gurus now advise large media companies. It wasn't surprising then that when five years ago I described how a small self-selected number of people could rig Google search results, the reaction from the people doing the rigging was violently antagonistic. Who lifted that rock, they cried. But what was once Google washing by a select few now has Google's active participation. This week, Marisa Meyer explained that editorial judgments will play a key role in Google searches. It was reported by TechCrunch proprietor Michael Arrington, who Nick Carr called the Madam of the Web 2 brothel, but its significance wasn't noted. The irony flew safely over his head at 30,000 feet, Arrington observed. Meyer also talked about Google's use of user data created by actions on Wiki search to improve search results on Google in general. For now, that data is not being used to change overall search results, she said, but in the future, it's likely Google will use the data to at last make obvious changes. Make obvious changes. An example, as if thousands of people were to knock a search result off a search page, they'd be likely to make a change. So in other words, we're seeing, we're seeing them coming into basically censorship and taking people off, taking people off the, uh, their search engines, basically. And those who are well known today uh, probably will be found in the future if you're just up and coming. That's the whole idea about it. Now, I think we'll see if we can go to the phones and see who's coming in here. I'll try to get this page up here. I've got troubles with the computer. Uh, we've got Amber from British Columbia. Are you there, Amber? I'm here. Hello. How are you? Good. It just started snowing. <laughs> it's nice. Well, I've had snow for a, a couple of months, so I, I sympathize with you. <laughs> yeah. It is, it's not so bad. It, the drivers hate it here, though. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the reason I'm calling tonight is um, I want to get your opinion on something or your advice on something. Um, I joined up with a, a local group recently, a 9-11 group um, mm-hmm. in town, and the, the goal of the group is not really to call for a new investigation, um, although there is some people in the minority that think that might be a good idea. Um, actually, I'll read the mission statement here. Victoria 9-11 Truth is a group of concerned individuals seeking to expose the lies surrounding the events of 9-11, as well as the issues concerning globalization, of which is it, it is an integral part. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm wondering what your opinion would be on actually becoming a legal society. Um, because there are I think many that, groups today. Here's the problem. There are many groups yeah. who are trying to to look at what's happened, and usually they begin with the lifestyle I've already had, and they're trying really to keep it. I understand it. It's a natural reaction. But we've got to realize, too, that the lifestyle we had has already been taken away from us. In fact, a lot of the work has been taken from us, and if there's no work, there's no pay, and if there's no pay, then, then you're into a new system altogether. Um, yeah, and plus some people's um, reaction to to finding out the truth about that might be like a world court, world government. Well, this, this is the key and, to uh, anything, anything that, that I find most organizations end up going, unfortunately, to the United Nations and giving them more credence, which is exactly what they want. That's right. And they pretend yeah. that they'll look into it. And uh, they, I've seen it happen uh, on so many all the different levels and so many people who started off, in fact, or maybe even were launched uh, to become voices um, end up joining the United Nations or having a department uh, for even, uh, I think it was um, a person here and it was two in Canada already have joined the United Nations and they came out initially to say, speaking out about the, the things that were occurring in the world. Uh, so as long as the, the, these particular organizations don't start leading you off to the very uh, wolf's lair that they want you to go to, which is the UN, I think you're probably on the right track. People have never had a chance to ever sit down and decide what kind of society they themselves would like to live in. And the problem here is, and here's the big problem, if you were to come to that stage, you would find a lot of the people in the same group would have so many different ideas of the world they would like because they all suddenly become little dictators that they'd end up fighting amongst each other. And that, again, is what they'll need now. Um, you have to start with the basic principles of what is a human being uh, and what are the rights of a human being. And, and you go from there uh, rather than think of, of collective groups as such. When you're into collective groups, you, you'll find so many other opposing groups popping out of the same group. Uh, in no time at all, you will be fighting each other. But I understand this process. Yeah, there, there has been some um, division, a little bit of conflict in the group recently. That's one of the topics, too. Um, the United Nations and the world government and um, global warming. And global warming. Um. <laughs> and, and you see, that they, they're all, any group that you get into is immediately infiltrated by people. Yeah, and some I, of them I was who wondering are not simply, that. Some of them are not just sent there. There's also those who come in who are already brainwashed and conditioned by the mainstream, and they'll bring all these topics in with them, and, and that's where you have your chaos. Some of them are trained to go in, and, and they also know how to bring the group to consensus. Uh, they're trained in how to do that uh, and a, with a basic psychology and training and use the Delphi technique as well. And before you know it, you're actually a, a, a UN cheerleader group. Uh, that, that's yeah. what you have to be aware of and be, be very wary of the people who come in with the politically correct agenda of the global warming, climate change scenarios, etc. And we've got, to, we've got to go along and, and change our way of living. It's, it's all a bogus thing, the whole global warming scenario to begin with, and it's admitted to in the books uh, put out by the guys who invented the idea, and that, that was the Club of Rome. Yeah, actually, I was going to ask you that as well. Um, somebody sent an email out recently about 
um, top scientists that disagree with that, that global warming is man-made. Yes. And um, somebody wrote it off as a propaganda piece because it was funded by tobacco and oil companies or something. I, uh, that's I what they'll always say, but there's 500 that. members of the, of the CC uh, or the PI, they call it the Council, um, the Global Council on, on whatever it's called, uh, to do with the climate change at the United Nations, 500 of its own members actually left them because they, they now realize the whole thing is bogus and all the statistics that they've been banding about are false and fake and that we're not going into global warming, we're going into global cooling. Right. So it's and they're like not financed can, by the oil companies. You know? Right. So people can just choose to believe, you know, whichever scientists they want. Kind of thing. Basically, that's know. it. But, but uh, yeah, it was, it was in their own report at the United Nations that 500 members have left. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so far, you know, my activity with the group has been everybody just does things on a volunteer basis. Mm-hmm. Like even the term member is used very loosely because it's not, it's not any sort of legal entity. But apparently the Vancouver 9-11 Truth Society is mm-hmm. an actual legal society governed by BC society rules. Yes. And somebody's proposed that we, you know, follow that model and just focus on 9-11. But mm-hmm. my problem with that is just focusing on 9-11 without exposing the global agenda as well. Uh, that, that's right. You, you cannot separate them. Yeah, you can't separate the two because yeah, 9-11 because was just to kick off the whole uh, next part of the global agenda. But uh, um, thanks for calling. And be very careful about the groups you join or what happens to them back after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. And I was just warning Amber about the organizations. It's so easy to walk into them. It's so easy to start them up with goodwill and be so, so quickly infiltrated by people who are sent in. The government has lots of this going on. You can't start up a poetry group without someone coming in to see what you're up to. And I'm not kidding. They must have on their books what you're actually all about. And the, the ones who are sent in to disrupt the groups are sent in or take it over. And before you know it, you're, you're, you're working for the global institution and you're, you're into global warming and we've got to change and so on. And it has a completely different uh, direction from the one that they began with. But it's true that 9-11 can't be separated from the whole agenda. It was to set off, it was to kick off the the ball for the the move towards global governance through various types of chaos and so on, and to give the reason to standardize a good part of the world that was Muslim that would not come under this new global system. They did not join, they they were not members of the World Bank and so on. They were not members of UNESCO. They refused to go along, uh, now they're being standardized through being conquered and ruled, and they have put puppet regimes in there that do what they're told. So you can't separate the two. Now we'll go to Maggie in Texas. Are you there, Maggie? Yes. Um, hello, Alan. Um, you mentioned that book earlier, The Crime and Punishment of I.G. Farben. Yes. And um, I had noticed that book ref- uh, referenced on the web as a source of some information about how uh, um, fluoride in the water was originally used either by the Germans, the Russians, or both to uh, sort of sed- uh, sedate the public. 
lower their IQs. I cannot find any such reference in that book. Are you aware of there being one or not being one? It's, it's looking to I, me I like... I can't remember that particular part of, of mm-hmm. the book. I, I know it went into the chemical industries. Yeah. And it's it the big, uh, same chemical industries that still run the big show today. Uh, they're the same ones. Um, it also went into uh, some of the vaccine manufacturers like Baxter Laboratories. They were yes. part of it too. Mm-hmm. They're still running today, jumping out uh, vaccines. And, uh, and many of the other, IT&T, all these boys are all part of the umbrella group of IG Farben. I see. Okay. But that specific thing uh, you can't recall and I can't find it either. So it looks as though somebody, one person made an error and dozens of people copied it. Yeah. It's, it's very possible. I, I can't. It doesn't mean it's not in there. I just can't remember having read that part of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you very much. No, thanks for calling. Yeah, it's um, it's astonishing when you realise that you know GM and, and Ford were, had plants in, in Germany and they were churning out uh, um, machines and mobile units for for the German army, and they were bombed towards the end of World War II, inadvertently too, because the Allies were told we're not to bomb. And it was interesting, too, that even Dowding admitted that he changed the, the, the bombing patterns of the, of the British bombers and the Canadian bombers uh, to go over Germany and directly target the workers' homes. Uh, under the pretense, apparently, if there's no workers, they can't run the factory. But after World War II, in the 1970s, I believe it was, GM and Ford just wait, bided their time and uh, sued the American and, and British governments for bombing and damaging their factories, and they won the award that was paid for by the taxpayers of those countries. Astonishing what, really, what the real world is really all about, isn't it? And the same guys are running it today. Change through conflict. Well, that's the music coming in for the end of the show. And from Hamish and myself up here in uh, very cold Ontario, Canada, it's good night and may your God or your gods go with you.